Have you ever talked to a flat earther? Um, unfortunately, I have. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, did you ask them how they think the Earth ends? Like how they how they think the edge of the Earth ends? No, I didn't bother. But so there's a few you? different. Yeah, I have the guy that I talk to thinks that the Earth just keeps going. Like he doesn't think it's a circle that like goes or a sphere that like goes around. He thinks it's just a disc that just goes forever. Welcome to the Mr. Bill podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, editor-in-chief of the Unst.com and Bill's manager. If you are new to the program, you'll know that I do the intros for these shows because Bill doesn't want to, and that's cool because he's doing a ton of interviews. Bill's guest this week is Thomas Wolf, a.k.a. Licube. He's an Austrian house and drum and bass producer, but he's also the creator of Resonic, which is the planet's fastest sample browser and chopping tool. This is a key ingredient in your workflow if you have a giant audio library and need to bust through it quickly while you're producing. We've been loving these conversations with music technologists and developers, and we hope you're enjoying them too. Please rate and review this podcast on whichever podcatcher you're using. It really helps people find the show. And join the Patreon to get early access to episodes, bonus content, and full video of every podcast. You can see Beardy Man's live rig. You can watch Bill pass out to an especially grisly story from Richard Devine and so much more. Mr. Bill went 180 degrees from his pop vibes on Ride or Die for Mousetrap. His latest release is a remix of Australian metal act North Lane and their song Vultures from their new 5G remix EP, which features Health, Phase 1, Mashed and Kutcher, and a remix from the North Lane guys themselves. Metalheads will really dig this EP. More to come on the North Lane front. There's a little hint for you. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. Bill just added a new feed of micro-tutorials and other fun shit that pops into his mind, and you can check it all out on the HCA feed. All right, enjoy Bill's chat with Lickube. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. What's those magnetostats you have? The what? The magnetostats, the, the headphones. Oh, yeah, the uh, the planars. Uh, these are all these LCDXs. Right. I got my I got myself some hi-fi mans. <laughs> oh, are they like the super expensive ones? No, no, no. Actually, they're Chinese, um, Chinese um, like magnetostats. We get them for like a good price, like 400 or so. But... Hmm. They're pretty awesome, like really, like the difference uh, is. Are they the ones that like uh, on the forums, they tell you to pull the foam out of them to make them sound a little clearer? So my friend Ulisile, he got these like planar magnetic headphones and uh, everyone on the forums was saying like there's this foam shit on the inside that if you pull it out, it, um, you know, like has, it just sounds a little better and he did that and I don't know, is that not 
not is no, this not no, something no. you've heard about? It's okay. just like it's they're, they're literally called Hi Fi Man, so it's like a, a bit bizarre when you have like that logo on the side and a big <laughs> H, you know, they come like in a in a like luxurious package and it says Hi Fi Man. It's like, <laughs> all right, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna try it. <laughs> I don't know. Cool. Um okay, so okay, wait. You start, yeah, you're recording, right? Yeah, I'm wait, let me check again. Yeah, that looks good. Oh. Well, then, in um, that case, we have already started. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for coming on. So um, for people that are like not aware of you or what you do, uh, you make the program ReSonic Audio Player, uh, and it's my favorite audio browser for sure. Uh, and a lot of people always ask me about it on my stream and they're always disappointed when they find out it's Windows only. But the best way I can explain it is it's essentially like Windows Explorer. If Windows Explorer had like a really nice real-time audio player in it, it kind of in a way is like um, one thing I missed about uh, Apple because I used Apple for a long time is being able to like click on a, on a file and just hit, hit space bar or whatever to bring it up in Finder and play it. And I'm sure there's a way to do that in Windows, but I just have never really looked into it too much. But yeah, one thing I really like about ReSonic is you can just access like all your folders and stuff on the side there. It's just essentially like an explorer or whatever. Um, no but yeah, so so that's what you do. And yeah, I just want to talk about a little bit about that, I guess. Um, how did you get into like programming and stuff? Actually, I have no idea. Like it, you know, it's, it's just out of interest, I guess, right? So you just, I don't know, it was kind of like um, an escapism for me, right? So like when I was, um, well, it, I, I didn't have like the best um, time in school and generally in, in that time, you know, like family-wise and so forth, you know, you have like, well, let's say it was a bit rough, um, but um I didn't have anything to like um, escape myself into. So then I, I got my hands on like a 486 uh, PC. <laughs> um, and well, you kind of like sink into that, right? And you're like, it was all like DOS. So like, you're like, what the fuck do I do with this? What, what is this? What is this? Like, it's just text, you know, text, you're typing the like, commands and stuff, you know. But um, eventually, you know, you get a hang of it. And I started before that with like C64s. Uh, actually had a, a C128, C, uh, like a Commodore, right? Those like big boxes. And went from there to an Amiga, Amiga A2000, also big box, not the small ones. And it was all about gaming back then, you know, like it was just so far ahead of PC graphics wise and everything. And um, it had this audio engine, like um, you could you could play samples, like proper samples. You had this hard left right separation, and it was like, you know, like fascinating. You know, graphics, proper graphics, proper sound, everything was amazing. And then you switch to PC at some point from all this gaming, and you're like, what the hell is this? And you played Commander Keen, and it was like, what is that? Like eight-bit graphics and like like weird like CGA graphics and like bleeps out of the PC speaker. So that was like a step back. Like you're going from a console to like a a little like black DOS window, right? And you're like, <laughs> all right. But then you know, like it changed a little bit. Um, Doom came and all these games, you know. So it was it was a bit 
it was just fascinating, you know, like it sucked you in and then the, the coding came, right? So like, you're like, how do I make these little things, these commands and how, what, what, what can I do with this thing, right? And this is where, where it all started, right? Because you think, um, well, so what can I do right now? Yeah, so and then I, I met some, some, some much older dude who, who was like into coding and, and I just watched him a little bit and he was doing like C plus, actually C coding. And I watched him a bit and I'm like, okay, well, this is fascinating. I, I want to do that. I want to try that. And so it just became a hobby in the end, you know, it's just, um, it was basically just um, playing around with it and escaping into it to get away from all the crap around you. And in like, I mean, it was too young to like get into drinking or something. So um, it was like around, I don't know, like 14 or something. And you just sink into it. And it's a good place to be because you could be in worse places, right? So like, and there's nothing. So, and then step by step, all the new stuff came. Like you, you went on to Windows, like then Windows 95 and, and all this stuff came, you know, step by step by step by step. But in the end, it it all ended um ended up being just um well um escapism mainly so like not like i want to do this as a job it's just fun you know like play around and i never wanted to do it as a job ironically but now it's your job <laughs> well pretty much my job yeah but you know like by i guess time went by like you 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 realize that people don't are not interested in what I do artistically, or are not interested in like any of the demo scene stuff I've been doing. Or like, you know, like um, graphics, uh, like uh, audio, like composing, tracking Dude, music and stuff. Demo scene is the craziest shit for people who don't know what that is. It's essentially like trying to make these incredibly small programs, right? That are like a hundred kilobytes or less that are both full audio and video. Exactly. That's like uh, demo scene is basically like. Um, a community of people who um, try to get the most out of nothing, right? That's the goal. So, like, um, if you have old systems, retro computing, like consoles, even like like Amiga C64s and all of that stuff, and you try to like um, push what you can do with that. So, like, get the, the most cra the craziest like effects or like like graphical effects or whatever out of a, of a CPU that is not really made for it, right? like something really weak like people do like uh wild demos they do the code stuff on calculators and on raspberry pis these days you know complete things you know and of course you get like composing music tracking music for people who don't know what tracked music is uh you have like you can kind of imagine it like like a midi file with samples in it yeah like mm -hmm. very much simplified, but it has like effects and everything built in. So you need to have a player that can actually replay these effects. And you don't have a synthesizer engine in that sense, but then really you do, you know, the player itself is the synthesizer and it just replays the commands and the, the, the notes and everything in it. And that's associated with like samples and they play in a certain way. You know, like, like a self-contained thing that you feed into a player. Yeah. And so, but and, and instead of like working horizontally, like, you know, from like classic, like uh, music production these days, you don't have a timeline that is like left to right. Yeah. It's like top to but bottom, right? Top to bottom. Exactly. And so mm -hmm. like different channels and then you, you write the commands in basically in numbers and in hexadecimal mm -hmm. numbers and whatever. 
Yeah, Renoise is a good example of that, right? And um, I, I remember... Renoise, exactly. Yeah, there's a few people on my label who use Renoise and I feel like everything I ever hear come out of Renoise always just sounds so Venetian snaresy. It's like got that sound about it or something. Or it's like just the way the program works just makes you like write Venetian snares music or something. Well, yeah, it's because um, you can speed it up, right? You can set the speed of how, like you need to imagine like that as like like falling note like you're, you're falling over like a, a set of notes right and you can speed it up as as fast as you want right so you can like if you want to like a super fast like but you, you can like do it in any way you want and and that's the thing and it's because everything is kind of quantized right there is no like um shuffling or whatever well in renoise there is but like typically everything is like you know like in a certain stepping, right? It steps over line, like each row, next row, next row, next row at a certain speed, right? And this is basically how, why it sounds like that. And it's just easy to make it that way, right? But Renoise is like tracking on steroids. Would you not say that um, linear DAWs are kind of the same though? It's like they're stepping over things at a quantized rate, but it just happens in the other direction? Well, I mean, you can automate the BPM and whatnot, but that's still at a quantized well, rate of the BPM that you're automating. Well, you you mean like a classic production? Um, I, I mean, like Ableton or something versus. Yeah. Well, no, because you know MIDI is a bit different. MIDI has a resolution, a very high resolution compared to that. So you can basically take your note or your event or your MIDI command or whatever, and you can set it to any point in that re- resolution where you want to put it, right? Uh, while in in a tracker, uh, well, you have like row, 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 and that plays at a certain speed. So you, there is nothing in between, right? If you want more resolution, you need to speed up your track, and then um, spread out the notes. Gotcha. Mm, interesting. Like use yeah. every, like use every tenth row or something, right? Uh, I see, and that's why like a lot of this tracker stuff is just all locked to sixteenths or something like that. Exactly, yeah. That's pretty yeah. much it. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense, actually. Um, so what was the precursor for Renoise? Like, what, what made you go like, oh, I'm going to make an audio player? Resonic. <laughs> Re- Resonic, sorry, my bad. <laughs> um, We're talking about Renoise, so it was on my <laughs> mind for whatever reason. No, it's fine. Um, the, like, actually, like, because there is nothing, nothing exists um, that can play sounds and, and, and audio files and like basically everything there is in, in, in audio, right? Um, that is made for professionals, right? So everything you have is is kind of like an audio play, a music player, let's say, okay? Like more like um, audio in, 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 sen- in a sense of like um, tunes, right? You're playing tunes. So it's not made for professionals. It's not made for people who, who like produce music, who like need to work with sound effects or sounds in whichever context, um, if that's like, um, say, doing film sound or game sound or whatever, you're just someone who needs to browse the files, right? Or you have like, uh, you, you can't have a fade in at the beginning when you start playing that. If you loop it, it needs to be seamless. Um, if you want a nice loop, then you should be able to go down all the way to single cycle. So go like super quick, like almost synthesizer um, style, which you can do in Resonic, right? So you can almost like make effects with that and like um, record the output. 
so um, and then playing the next file, you know, like all looping stuff. If you've ever looped stuff in Winamp, then you know it doesn't really work. And when stuff is short, with VLC or other players, they they they're not made for that. They're not made for short sounds. They're made for like a tune fades in, plays nicely. Maybe there's a crossfade and all that for the next tune and stuff. That's nice. And that's um, how you want it, but not in production. So, but, well, that was one one aspect. But the other thing was that um, actually uh, I was doing like field recordings and I was recording um, um, one shots mainly, right? So like you go outside and, and you, you find stuff to hit, basically. You find things to hit it with and you, then you hit it. And then you record this like, kick replacement or snare replacement or, or something like some 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 rhythmic things you know and you, you end up with this, this this 10 minute recording or half an hour recording and you have like hundreds of, of one shots in there um so what what now you open that thing and then i mean think about the process you know you have like let, let's assume 10 minutes right loads of hits uh you so you just play through it and you go like, okay, no, no, no. Oh, this one's interesting. Okay. This one sounds interesting. So what do you do now? Okay. So uh, you, you have that in a player. You don't have a waveform for a start. You don't see where, what you have, right? So it's just playing and you hear it and you, okay, where is it? And then check the time in the player. Then you need to find that file, that recording. You need to open that in, in, in some wave editor, like whatever it is. Then you need to find that place again. You need to cut that out, make a new file, save it somewhere, give it a name and something. Then open your DAW, like open a door, open like a drum sequence or like wherever you want it, right? Uh, a drum synth, uh, drop it on a say enabled in a drum rack in a, in a, in a clip, right? And a slot. Uh, so, but the process, like uh, from hearing it to like having it is insane. It's complete insanity. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I it, agree just, with that. It's... it blocks your flow. It blocks your creative flow. So you, you don't use a stop and you're like, oh, fuck this. I don't want to do this. You do it 10 times, you don't want to do it anymore. That was the trigger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, seeing that, and um, right from the start, even like that was 2011 when I started the player, like, had the first ideas before that. But um, the idea was always, I, I want to see the waveform and when I see that sound, I want to mark it and I want to drag it out directly into a clip. You know, to be creative with it. That was the idea. So aside from not having a player, right? And the fun thing is today, you still don't have players that do that. <laughs> yeah, it's actually yeah strange that ReSonic is the only one that, that is kind of doing this stuff. But yeah, I just made a sample pack called Spectra and I just released it recently. And ReSonic was like such a huge part in it. I, without ReSonic, that shit would have taken me like a year. Instead, it took me, you know, a couple of months, which was still a long ass time. But yeah, the um, being able to just like uh, navigate through folders quickly. Also, one thing I really love is when I get a new sound. So I run a, a label too called Beleagle Sounds and we release our own sample packs on Splice as well. <coughs> Um, speaking of which, if you're a sound designer listening to this, want to release a sample pack with us, send a demo to beleaglebeats at gmail.com. Um, all right.
plug done. <laughs> but yeah, so one thing I really like is when uh, people send us a sample pack. You know, generally within that sample pack, there's a ton of folders. There's like the root folder, which is just like, you know, XYZ artist sample pack or whatever. And then there's like, you know, one shots and then loops. And then in the one shots folder, there's like kicks, snares, hi-hats, cymbals, rides, like all that kind of stuff. And then in the loops folder, there's like, uh, you know, four bar loops, eight bar loops, 16 bar loops or whatever. And then within those, it's like what kind of loops? There's like synth loops, ambient loops, breaks, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. And just going through all those folders so granularly in Windows Explorer and then like playing stuff in VLC is just so painful or even just like looking through it in Ableton's browser within Ableton is so painful to just like click through and check it all. Whereas in ReSonic, you just hit alt and then like click on the root folder and it just shows you literally everything that's in there. And you can just like click through everything within ReSonic. It's really, really nice. It's saved me so much time. It basically goes through all the folders and recurses into them, like into everyone, like the whole structure and then just pops everything into one playlist basically yeah it's awesome but and then like as you click through it it like highlights the folder on the side that you're in so it's like the exact same thing like you know exactly where you are when you're scrolling through this giant playlist you just don't have to click through a ton of folders to do it right yeah I, it always like strikes me as a, a bit peculiar when you think about like, like th these people who make these sample packs sometimes you know they they have such like strange thinking like how do you think like this kind of like structure is interesting or like clever to have i mean they all work they all kind of work in explorer right so so they're yeah. making this bizarre structure and they don't feel like that it's a bit tedious uh, to navigate that with the it, stuff that we have it is um i mean <clears throat> so for starters like the way that i search for samples in ableton is i never look through a sample pack and go like oh this sample pack i want to go into the drums folder and then the one shots folder and then the kicks folder and then look through the kicks like that's not how i do it i hit control f and i type the word kick and then right, whatever yeah. comes up i like pick one <laughs> and that's the pretty much only way <clears throat> that i search oh. for samples and yeah i, I kind oh. of agree that foldering it up that way is uh is a bit tedious and annoying but the people who are at the forefront of the sample industry which is splice sounds uh, kind of have like a standard for foldering stuff up in that way for submission. So I think maybe that's kind of where people get it from. But people were doing this way before Splice Sounds. So maybe Splice Sounds just took it from the predecessors and then it just sort of has carried on because of that. Well, I have so many sample packs that just don't make any sense. Like, you know, like I get it. Like if you have a certain structure, like you have in Spectra, that that makes complete sense right but um like sometimes it goes like your file naming is also nice you know like um you can associate it right so it belongs with spectra mm -hmm. um but um like sometimes you know the especially older packs i might i, I mean it's, it's getting a bit better now but the older packs like they're so deep the nesting is so deep you know like and then you have like three files in a folder and like how how are you going to use this for real now so like when there's no program that can actually like scan all of that at the same time, it's a bit strange, but it's just how it is. And anyways, you said like you do control F and you search for kick, right? Well, what do you do when, when it's called um, kick with uh, no C or BD or whatever, like or BDR? Or, or just like freeze dot wave or something like that. Exactly. Or LKK or whatever, you know, like what do you do? 
Uh, so that's uh, kind of like the <laughs> the other main goal of the, the whole project is like to unify that and like make this system, um, well, we call it auto-tagging, but um, it's probably a bit like an understatement. Uh, it's really not really related to like tags itself, like tagging in sense of like artist title, you know, tag like more like a, a hashtag, you need to think about it. So like um, assigning, like finding all of these things, grouping them together and then attaching like a hashtag kick. So instead of like doing like control F and kick, um, you would actually look for hashtag kick. And so you would find the sounds that you didn't even know you had, right? So that's that's the idea. Well, and since we've announced that uh, like um, years ago, really like um, a, a few different programs have like implemented that, but um, the way they do it is just nowhere close to, to how we do that. So they, they like look for a substring, like a portion of text in a name. And if it contains kick, well, then it's going to assume it's a kick, right? Kick drum. Uh, but there's way more to that. There's a lot of like damage you can do. Like um, a great one is like, I'm not going to uh, uh, say the name of that program, but um, like it's very common that you look for like, um, you have something called monkey, right? A file like monkey wave. And it categorizes that as keyboards because there's key in it. And that's just not how we do that because it's just, it's too like um, crude, you know? And I, I don't think it helps. Um, then you have like combinations that you also want to find, right? If it doesn't, I mean, there's like situations where words just join together and you just, it, they have a different meaning as if they were separate. You know what I mean? So like um, categorizing that correctly and just doing like all the drums, the percussion, then also tying back in all the instruments that are, that are possible, like um, I've done so much research in that direction recently. Again, uh, like um, because you have like um, Oriental exotic instruments that are not that common, right? You have loads of names and just loads of misspellings and loads of like ways to find these things. But if you can all like group them into a, like a bunch of hashtags, have a few like main hashtags, like you start with like percussion as a main hashtag or like just drums for like actual drums and then go go smaller from there like drums uh, kick electronic and then like into more detail like is it processed is it is it you know like distorted or like you know like adjectives um, that can categorize what you're looking for so that's kind of like the goal yeah nice. also you, you just want to find guitars and you find all kinds of guitars not just like Western guitars, but like all kinds of guitars, like Asian guitars and Indian guitars, whatever. And then you can like separate with another hashtag to filter that, to separate that further. But the point being that you just want to find stuff uh, that you don't normally use, right? So that is kind of the goal. Mm. Find yeah. everything you have. Yeah, totally. I've always thought that um, like like folder tree systems are kind of dumb and that tagging systems make a ton more sense. And, you know, one of the first companies, I feel like that really saw this and actually acted upon it was Splice. You know, they were like, yeah, why do we do this foldering thing? Even though like their submission process does require you to folder things up to submit. Um, on the front end, when you're actually searching for samples, it does it all by tagging, right? So like you say, I want drums, I want kick, I want 
something that's like you know 8080 or whatever and then it will like okay. just show you things that have those tags associated to them and i agree that like the same thing is needed on like a local level on your own hard drive um via a program like resonic or something but i guess my question is how do you achieve that from like a programming perspective because like you said if this is a sample called monkey uh and you don't want to search by words um to be like all right that's not a keyboard that's an animal um how do you like uh you know set it up from a programming perspective to be like uh don't recognize this as a keyboard just because it has the word key in it recognize this as like a sample of you know a jungle animal and recognize this other thing that's called like key monk or something like that as like you know a keyboard that's played by Thelonious Monk or something like that. <laughs> um, well, it kind of started like analyzing um, stuff. So like we, we don't just use the file name. We don't we don't actually like like the system doesn't um, analyze the content. So that's the first thing. Like I have to say, like people ask it quite a bit. Like does it analyze the wave content? Like does it analyze the sound? No, it doesn't. That's the whole point, you know, like um, that can be added on later. And I have I've some plans for that in the back of my head, but um, it mainly looks at metadata, right? That means file name. There's a lot of stuff that uh, Resonic reads, you know, like it's one of the strongest things about Resonic is the metadata support, like what it reads out of files. It reads Apple, Apple information, Apple finder information, right? Apple loop information. It reads like acid and, and, um, even sound minor stuff for people who are more like in uh, sound effects and stuff. So like it, it pulls that out and it decides what to use, right? And all of this information kind of flows into deciding what patterns we have, what we see and what this could be, not just the file name. And then the next bit is like, I got like millions and millions of file names um sent by users over the years um to analyze what they have and to analyze patterns aside from my own like sample collection and then figure out like uh how what is common right what do people have because we all have like old sample cds that are like weirdly named and then we have new sample cds that are a bit more modern already right so like um but what patterns do exist and how can you like how can you reduce that into something that makes sense? If you look at it as a person, right? And you go like, it's easy for you as a person going like, okay, you look at this weird name and you're like, okay, I know this is that, that, that. Oh yeah. You're just assuming based on like experience, right? But a program that just reads letter by letter or character by character of a name, like how can it know what it is? It's impossible. So first of all, you need to like know what words can can even appear, like, and what words is it like? How is it written? How is it connected? Does it have like brackets? Does it have underscores or dashes or whatever? You know, like, like you analyze that all of this, and that all flows into deciding what it could be, right? That is so basically it still the background. So does it off characters and not off like spectral analysis or does it, are you saying you would combine both of these things to figure out what a sample is? No, like like in the, like I said uh, just in the beginning it doesn't analyze the content. That's the the number one thing people ask. So does it look at does it analyze the audio content? No, it doesn't. And the whole idea here is that I'm like 
it's not using AI. It's not using deep learning. It's not using any of that stuff. It's also not analyzing audio at this point. All of that can be um, added on if it's needed. But I think, especially in music production, because it's going to be separate from music production and, and film, or like sound effects, sound effects people. That's important that you have a separation there. And I'm sure some will pick that up at this point now that I said it. <laughs> but it's really important because, uh, well, a screaming lead or a, a, a screaming sound is something else in sound effects than it is in music production, right? You can have something screaming, but that could that will most likely be a person, right? In in sound effects, so that the meaning is different, and there's a lot of difference in meaning in words. Uh, but um, so the idea is to like have basically a, a human curated system that covers because what we have is finite, right? Like it's not like we have a bazillion words and and things that we use, right? Like there's some niche words, but to cover the majority, you get a pretty good idea, like analyzing that stuff, like what is actually being used by people. And it's really finite and it's really human the way it's in interpreted. And, and that's the good thing about it. And the best thing is that it, it takes like per file, right? You, you don't even feel it. So it, it, it can go through like tens of thousands of files and, and it hardly takes um, a second, right? Um, and it can be you know, like extended and improved. Like I can update the the whole like patterns dictionary and all the the system behind it. I can update that. And well, the idea is that you enter a folder, and if you have like a thousand files in there, the moment you enter the folder, you already have a complete set of words, hashtags in that sense, right? Um, that basically describe what you have in that folder. But just like that, the moment the files come in, the names come in, maybe the durations of the files come in, you already have all the words, they're all there. So like no waiting, no analyzing, nothing, it's just there. And it's already very good to get like a first idea of, of what you have and what you want to find or what you can find, right? Uh, you can always add on like audio analysis, like analyze the brightness of a sound and what is the dominant frequency? Is it more like a, a mid-range or high-mid sound or like, you know, like um, go from there, you know? That's... Right, but but with that with that way of working where essentially when you open a folder, you just take the list of names that comes from that folder and then just, uh, you know, pass them individually and just put that through like a search filter of some sort. Um, don't you run into that same problem of searching key and getting a, the sample of the monkey no because um no because the engine would have already um attached uh the hashtag whatever it is keyboards or keyboard mm. right but how does it i still don't understand how it knows to do that if we're going just based off the name <laughs> well that that is the whole point of the engine it's not that easy to uh, to explain but it's um it's quite complex but it does a lot of like shuffling back and forth and exclusion and like combining things and patterns and like um, deciding which words could go together and then maybe like turn them back and forth and stuff and, and find that out. But um, in, in, in the case of monkey, I mean, it's pretty straightforward because monkey is, well, key is 
a word on its own, right? Um, it's not a word on its own when it's part of monkey. Like, you know, it's, it's always written together in, in, you know. But then think about like um, the situation where you have something, um, what should I use? Like electric kick or electro kick. Yeah, let's take that. And now assume it's all written in, in lowercase, right? And it just says electro kick. It's not as e it's easy for us to see. Okay, those are two words when you look at it. Electro kick, put together. But uh, again, for like a computer program or like something that is not human, uh, it's just lowercase letters in a certain order, right? It kind of needs to know which word is a word. <laughs> it's different when you have like an uppercase e in electro and an uppercase k and all put together, like electro kick, then you can kind of assume, okay, well, those are two words, right? Yeah, but there's so many situations where this just, just doesn't work. And also, um, when you use interpunctation, yeah, when, when you have like um, uh, colons, dots and dashes and underscores and brackets in, in, in a name or in metadata, um, we have a certain way of interpreting um, the meaning of those elements, right? The way we, what we mean um, them to do. So like you can pretty much almost say that when you have an underscore, you you use it as a space, right? It's a space. It's probably not going to be anything else, but it's not that easy for all the other symbols. Uh, so again, here you need to interpret what is it? What could it be? How is it meant in that, in that context, right? Mm. Kind of like let, let me let me just bring this one example. So let's go f away from music production and and sound effects. Let's just go to music tunes. Say you have a tune and it has a name, and then you have in brackets it says original mix, right? Yeah, or like whatever, like Mr. Bill remix or whatever. You know, like in brackets. You typically put that in brackets. See, you already have a meaning there, or like uh, like a a standard, non-standard standard, that how we use those symbols for a certain mm. thing, right? So that you wouldn't write like tune name and then Mr. Bill remix just without any brackets. That would be weird, right? Right. So you're pretty much trying to find um, as many of these sort of trends in file naming as possible to turn into like a, a list of hashtags that the program will then take into account to then go through samples and it might you know have an 80 percent accuracy or something like that pretty much yeah like it's probably mm. even a bit but higher like than 80. that yeah right but like that uh at the cost of like not getting it 100 percent of the time you get that really snappy machine level language going yeah but it's it's there it's instantly there mm -hmm. yeah right just and it just doesn't use the file name it's not just a file name right there's so, so much stuff that I, I can't even like start to explain like how much stuff is in files that is, isn't read by any program. Like mm. there is no, no program reads these things. Like I, I'm not aware of any program anywhere except Apple Finder that reads Apple Finder information. Like in Apple Loops, there's so much stuff in there. Mm. Yeah? There's like hardly a, a, any program reads Cubase information, like, like Media Bay information, like SoundMiner information. Like, there's so much stuff like that comes from everywhere. All directions that that can be used in, in in meaningful ways like that goes that flows into the same system mm. 
Yeah, right. Interesting. Um, there's more information like that in like an AIF than a wave, isn't there? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, if it's an Apple loop, mm. um, and an and I file is just, um, well, it's pretty much the same as a wave, just with a slightly different structure. But um, just because it's an IF doesn't mean it has content, right? Uh, if it's if it's uh, labeled an Apple loop, uh, that pretty much means that those loops need to go through a tool, like either this Apple Loops tool, or I think it's called Apple Loops Utility that sample producers have. And the other one, I think it's done in logic, as far as I know. So when you make a, a logic loop or like an Apple Loop in logic, then you can like assign like certain... Uh, what category is it? You know, like um, it generates the transients for it, and what style of content is it? You know, what is it? Is it like you can choose from a, a um, assortment of of words, and all of these things are stored in the the, the if file, and those I read and I interpret again. So like you have that on on top of that. So if it's an Apple loop. And you load it in Resonic, you'll also see the transients. So like where you can snap into and then like select certain beats and stuff. Mm, actually, I've noticed that, yeah. I've also noticed that there's uh, some files that I opened that were rendered out of Logic or Fruity Loops or something like that. And there'll be a bunch of like marker information in the file. And right, I'll yeah. be able to see like what the names of the markers were in that person's session. You know, like they'll have build, drop, drop one, yeah. De delete this section or like fix this <laughs> section like it's it's super funny to like go through and like uh see someone's markers that you're not supposed to see like it gives you well but but they're in the file so right they they're basically in there so you're supposed right, to I see mean, them well someone, I, I don't someone think, saved them in there <laughs> well i don't think they intended for it you know like i think they accidentally just rendered that out with the file from logic or fruity or Whatever I've never seen it from an Ableton file, but yeah, for some reason it happens sometimes on Fruity files and and Logic files. Yeah, FL Studio has like a lot of like it exports a lot of like marker information. It exports like uh, upbeats and downbeats, even like all this stuff. There's a lot of stuff in there, and but it's kind of cool because uh, I read it all. Uh, it's all like even the stuff that you don't see. But I guess like some people use markers as comments, like as a notepad, right? Mm -hmm. So like instead of actually using them for like sections, they use it for like, like you said, you know, like um, delete this or whatever. And yeah, so, yeah, that's how I usually use it. I mean, I use it just as, yeah, quite often as a notepad to be like, all right, I need to fix this section or, you know, add more sub here. <laughs> this is actually another thing that I, I had in mind is like, um, is I have like a, about like, 40 different types of market markers at the moment in in the metacore the, uh, the resonic metacore that um uh, reads all these types of information right so there can be in mp3s and in id3 tags or whatever you know, like everywhere um but uh, i thought about like having uh, some kind of a like um comment function like kind of timed notes right that way you can go through the tune in resonic and then like literally like do that right add a add a comment or add a note there like f about stuff that you want to fix right and then have that separate layer like a note layer in there that you can switch on and off mm. so you would l listen to your bounces and then add notes to it as you go along as you listen to it uh it's a good idea 
You know what might also be a good feature if you're um, building this program for, you know, audio people is maybe like an ABX blind testing thing, you know, so people can like check masters against each other without having any biased opinion, you know, like a blind test. There's a plugin that does it, I think, called Hofer Double Blind. And the idea, and usually like that's back in the day, you used to have to get a friend to help you do this. But essentially you would... um. Uh, render two files one called a one called b and if you want another one called c and then you just get somebody to play you back both files in a random order and then choose which one you like you know a or b and and then you can say sort of objectively without knowing which one you put more work into or whatever or which one you a bias towards for whatever reasons that you actually do prefer that one objectively and yeah, that can be pretty helpful. I don't know if that would be useful in Resonic. I'm not exactly sure how you would implement that, but um, if you would just have a way to turn off the file names for a start. Yeah, exactly. Just like turn off the file names and like randomize them in some order. So you could like still click between both files, but you just couldn't see which one was which. Right. Well, that's, that's, that's really doable. Because the randomized function is already in there, so if if you press Control Alt in, in space, right, then you can shuffle the list. Um, uh, yeah, I actually really love that feature. This is yeah, so cool. Hold on, I go, <laughs> I I always forget about this feature, but yeah, essentially you can hold on Control Alt space, yeah, and then it just like shuffles the entire folder. <laughs> right, That's cool. But at the same time, if you go like um, so you know um, if you press Alt in space, then you directly play a random file, right? So it's like you can shuffle a list separately, but also play a random file. Uh, awesome. the, the advantage of like having like this um, list shuffle is that you can still use sequential playback, and mm-hmm. you can go th- through like a, a fixed like shuffled list, right? Mm. So like um, go up and down, and you don't lose your your position. Like when you put random playback on, then you kind of you can never go back, right? Because mm. it's all completely random. Right, whereas the way this works is it just sort of like randomizes the numbers on the left, it seems like, and then yeah, exactly. Play something back. Now, that's yeah, actually man. also that's um, also a thing that um, I want to use with uh, MIDI playback. That's um, that's in the works now. So like MIDI control, um, mm. where you can choose like um, like some kind of a MIDI controller or something that you have left over on the side um, as as a controller for Resonic and. Um, and then you can play it directly into the the playlist that you have, so you can either like play the playlist and you can shuffle the playlist with that shortcut, and well, you just discover new sounds and new sound combinations on each key of your keyboard, for example, right? mm-hmm. MIDI keyboard. Uh, so that that's a thing that um, uh, that, that is that pretty creative. Like for just MIDI though, or for audio. No, 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 MIDI like MIDI like uh, you connect the MIDI keyboard and. It, it maps like all the oh, content right. of the You're saying you can just folder. play a sample back quickly at any pitch if you want. Well, also, but not at a pitch first. Like, say you have like a, 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 I don't know, a 61 key keyboard and um, you just enter a folder, a playlist, or you shuffle it or whatever. And you have those first 61 directly mapped on the keys. So you mm. can just play them. Uh, you can find like, the sequential order, you can play the sequential order. You can just shuffle like you just did with control alt and space. You could shuffle the whole content of the folder, the order of the files. And then every time you shuffle, 
you would get like a new set of a completely new randomized 61 keys on your keyboard. Mm. And you could just like, you know, it, it's so creative. I tried it a, a few times already and it's just, just every time I shuffle, I get a new like creative idea of like <laughs> sounds, combinations of sounds that you would never even find together. So I actually so have just... this idea that like creativity like doesn't live in a vacuum, right? You don't just get like inspired randomly. I feel like creativity is always uh, due to some sort of stimulation of the outside world of some sort, you know? Like if you put somebody, I think, just in like a blank room, they're going to be a lot less inspired than if you put them around a bunch of stuff that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like quite often in the creative process when I get stuck, often what I do is things like this where I try to just like have something create some sort of stimulus for me. Uh, generally like a random ran, like a randomizer plugin or uh, you know something like resonic where you can just like randomize a list of uh, samples or something like that um, and then I'm like oh yeah that, like you just said it gives you some creative idea right and and then you get yourself unstuck and you're able to keep writing which I think it's is just really cool I just think random is awesome like random of any kind of like sort is random I mean evolution is the best example right for like how awesome random can be but, but it, do you um, think evolution is random or do you think that it was always going to go this way because it went this way so it must have always I think evolution is random that's the whole point of evolution is like to always like damage something you know something damaging quotes right like something changes and it's completely random. Like it, it does, it tries something new and it evolves, it evolves in quotes. Like when you think about it, like like 99.99 periodically percent of all those randomizations, they fail, right? They go away again. And then whatever works, you know, random is, is it is random, but is it? I have no idea. But, but in the end, you know, like what, what's left over that kind of works in a setting. So if you have like some area, say nature somewhere in a forest or somewhere, it doesn't matter, in, in some place in the world, and there's this little like refuge of like something, then something just worked there. And then something else worked in that context and something else worked in a context. And like in, it all became this like system that just works you know? right but the reason that it worked is not that random right like for instance a sea creature being born in the sea and surviving in the sea versus a land creature being born in the sea and instantly drowning is not that random right like it's it's the fact that the sea creature survived and the land creature didn't and they both were like evolved in the sea uh like it's not that random that the sea creature survived right like that seems no, but but think about all the bazillions of versions of the sea creature and the land creature that didn't survive in the same mm -hmm. setting, because they were eaten or they were just too weak or not, I don't know, too deep or too too shallow or like too too hot, too cold, I don't know, like whatever you know, like or a million other like variables, right? And and that's that's like it's all random, but like what survives basically right survival of the fittest and all that like whatever survives in a setting just enough you know like even if like 98 percent of all the i don't know baby turtles get eaten or something when they enter the back into the ocean right then like two percent survive and that seems to be enough for the process to work and like everything that goes around it it just works you know and if you take that little 
thing and you put it in a different place in the world, maybe it didn't work. It wouldn't work mm. right? in, the, in the same place. Yeah, true. I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. Like the fact that humans exist in this Goldilocks zone in the universe that just like so happens to have water and oxygen and we just so happen to evolve here in this place that has water and oxygen and it's just the right temperature and all that kind of stuff is kind of random, right? It's, it's almost like this could have very easily not happened. But then think about it the same way we're talking about like all these variations and versions of different things in the world. Now, if we ended up surviving here and working out like with all those, like, you know, like the, the powers around us in the universe and everything, like everything needs to be like just right. Like you said, like the distance, not too warm, not too cold. So if we're too close to the sun, it won't work. If you're too far from the sun, it won't work. If like gravity is a bit different, then we would look different, you know, like short or long or whatever. Um, so now think about like for all the, for us existing here under these circumstances, like how many versions failed somewhere else in the universe? It's the same thing, isn't it? Like you think that um, life tries to form constantly throughout the universe and just constantly fails? like evolution right it constantly tries to evolve it constantly tries to survive but most of it fails and then something survives but then like how they say like you know this this um theory that like uh, question is always where does it come from how, like what's the origin you know but like let's let's just cut that out and just assume like let's assume this this theory that like life came on a on some kind of a asteroid or something you know and it broke up and it just like from wherever and it just went all the way into the universe. And then those like blocks of like life that eventually formed our evolution on this planet hit this planet, that planet over there, like it's maybe still flying somewhere in the universe and it hits like loads of planets, but it doesn't even hit that much because there's a lot of space in between the planets. Like there's nothing, right? There's nothing. You think like, okay, I'm, it's gonna spread out. It's gonna hit a million planets. Not mm -hmm. really. Yeah, I've actually I've actually heard that if uh, if you get like two entire universes, so like the Milky Way galaxy, oh sorry, not two universes, two galaxies. So let's mm -hmm. say like the Milky Way galaxy and then whatever other galaxy, and they hit each other. Apparently, like nothing happens; they just go through each other. Yeah, right. Exactly. Because, or, or How like, mad is that? A, yeah, there's like a ninety something percent chance that they just like fucking go through each other. No damage is done whatsoever because there's just so much empty space. Exactly. When you like, when you look at like, I, I don't have any examples right now, but um, I've been on an observatory and they've been talking about like those two uh, stars or like this like thing, like formation of stars, star formation. And you had like, um, was it two or five or 10, 20 stars, whatever, that are the closest to each other of all the stars in the vicinity, right? Like the closest, like a little like collection of stars. Mm -hmm. And then they said something be between, like, uh, uh, along the lines of like, okay, between that star and that closest star to it, there is still like 10 light years between them. <laughs> and you're like, or something like that, right? And you're like, what the fuck, man? You're like, you're like going on forever, forever. Like, what are the chances of anything hitting those? Yeah, it's like if you took a you know a piece of A4 paper and put one grain of salt on it, 
and then like took another A4 piece of paper and put another grain of salt on it somewhere randomly and you crossed those A4 pieces of paper over a million times with the grains of salt somewhere random on the piece of paper, the chances of those grains of salt hitting each other would probably be way higher than anything in the yeah. galaxy hitting each other. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah, well, it's crazy. Like you have countless stars in two galaxies and they won't hit each other. It would actually be but more probably akin to putting a grain of salt in the size of this room randomly, like on the 3D axis. And then doing that with two different rooms mm -hmm. and having those mm -hmm. go through each other a billion times. I bet you they would maybe hit once if that think about the ocean it's kind of the same thing right this this I, I mean i mean think about it imagine you would look into the sky and the whole volume of sky there's a volume right like so if you just point to a random place into the sky a random direction a random like um uh distance and then another one and you would go like okay i'm gonna place two animals there <laughs> like what are the chances that they're very far away from each other because 3D, right? It's a volume. It's not flat. The chances that it's going to cross is, is very low. Mm, so yeah. if, if you just looked up the sky and had like everything is water and then you put that underneath you and then you have the ocean and you're like, there's so much space for stuff to not, not ever meet, ever, ever, ever. And this is just the ocean. It's not even the universe. Have you ever talked to a flat earther? Um, unfortunately I have. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, did you ask them how they think the earth ends? Like how they, how they think the edge of the earth ends? No, I didn't bother. But so there's a few you? different, yeah, I have the guy that I talk to thinks that the earth just keeps going. Like he doesn't think it's a circle that like goes or a sphere that like goes around. He thinks it's just a disc that just goes forever. A disc that goes forever. Yeah. So a plane. Yeah, just a giant plane that just keeps going. How does he know it's a disc then? Uh, just, I don't know, he's seen pictures on the internet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just like we've seen pictures of the sphere on the internet. How do we know it's a sphere? <laughs> I, I, think, I think the Earth is a pyramid and it's hollow. What can I say? I it makes know. sense. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, so long as it's spinning around, I definitely, hmm. do you think the earth is smoother than like a basketball or something like that? Or like, I don't know, how, how smooth do you think the earth is in scale? Like, so for, how do I explain this? Like, you know how the earth has like a shitload of mountains on it and stuff like that? Yeah. Do you think if you were to like scale that down into the size of a basketball, it would have like a very rough like edge or do you think it'd be like completely smooth because of the scale of the earth and how much those uh, mountains and stuff would be scaled down? Wow. I think it would have like more, I guess, more raggedy edges. It would be more like, um, well, a bit sharper because a basketball has like dimples, right? Or like not dimples, like um, little, um, you know, bumps. Yeah, so apparently but, but, it's like it would be incredibly smooth. Yeah, you know, all I know is that when you open Google Earth, right, uh, I'm always surprised. I'm I'm actually like always shocked, um, like how 
um, flat the mountains are. Mm, yeah, right? exactly. Because like, like once you like, scale everything out, it's like <clears throat> everything gets like so much smaller. <laughs> yeah, but also when you go into the mountains, you know, like and and when I've been up on a glacier or something, right, in the Alps, and then you see how it looks for real, you know, and you see that. And then you go in Google Earth and you try to reconstruct the place like with GPS coordinates and stuff like where you have been and try to reproduce the same view, right? And it looks so flat. It, it, looks, it looks exactly the same. So the scale <laughs> is right. The height is right. Like, because I thought it's like, that must be wrong. But it's really like the mountains don't really look that tall, right? And you can, you can change the scale to be like, vertically like be scaled up like to like five times as much and so and then it kind of you go like okay this looks more like it right <laughs> but, but it really is that flat and it's fascinating like when you zoom out then you're like this is this it is this the grand canyon <laughs> like that looks really flat so well yeah could be that it's really smooth yeah, I think it's just that we're so small, right? Like even when we go up in an aeroplane, um, I think the equivalent, if you were going to use the basketball analogy, would be the size of us like leaving that basketball by like a millimeter, like if that. That is not much. Oh, it just started raining. God damn it, I wanted to go ride my bike. I got, I got a... Uh, so like I've recently I got into mountain biking. I've talked about this a shitload on the podcast, but I um for the last few months I've like had this loaner bike from the bike shop that I was purchasing my bike from, and then yesterday my bike actually came in. Um, so I was looking forward to riding it for like the first time properly today, but it just started raining unfortunately. Yeah, same here. Like there's no riding a bike here. Damn. Oh yeah, we're in. You're in Germany, right? No, I'm in Austria. Austria. Um, sure. I'm in the south here. Yeah, like I have uh, somewhat mountainous regions here. So like it's it's kind of nice to like just go out <clears throat> and I do a, do a bit of photography. Um, I, I, I do bike. Um, it's, it's just awesome to be outside. You just, um, road bike or mountain bike? Road bike, mostly. Mm. Nice. I, I would like to do mountain biking, but um, uh, I've... I've not really gotten into that, you know, because you need to kind of get like all this stuff that comes with it, like like some some you know like thing that you attach to your car that you can transport the bike up into the mountains and stuff like, and that's all a bit like seems like a bit of a hassle at the moment. Yeah, it is. Mountain biking is a, not a cheap thing to get into. That's for sure. Exactly. Need, exactly. You need like a bunch of pads and shit if you don't want to die, basically. And then yeah, you need a, a car rack, and then you obviously. You need a like a good bike because I mean, with some of the shit that that you ride over, it's like you don't want to be riding over that in a, you know, bike that doesn't have proper suspension or anything like that. And have you? Are you riding a normal mountain bike or is it like one of those? Have you ever? Have you ever tried those downhill bikes? You know, the fat, the fat wheels. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I have I have a downhill bike, but it's um. It's not the one with like fat wheels. It's the one like what makes, so what the difference is between like a trail bike or a cross country bike or a downhill enduro bike is about, it's just all about, or pretty much all about um, the travel in the forks. So basically uh, with, with a cross country bike or a trail bike or whatever, you'll get like 130 millimeters to 150 millimeters of travel in the forks. 
Um, and with an enduro bike, you'll get more like 160 to 180 millimeters of travel in the fork. So it's just a lot squishier. It can take a lot more of an impact. Um, right, yeah. And it's just more, uh, I guess, built for taking a beating on like a pretty nasty downhill track. And then there's also um, another big thing that comes into it is called uh, geometry. Uh, and geometry is just like, you know, the, the length of the head tube, the length of the seat post, the length of the bottom bracket, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's sort of two different designs. There's like shorter, tighter geometries and there's longer, slacker geometries. And depending on which one depends on like more, whether it's a downhill bike or a trail bike, and they kind of ride a little differently and feel a bit different. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff to think about, I guess. And yeah, with enduro bikes, you get those tires that have those long nubby uh, things on the wheels that, you know, help really grip into the ground and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> yeah, they're insane machines, man. Like since getting into mountain biking, I'm just, one of the things that I'm most into about it is just how impressive like the technology is. You know, it's like, it's just, it blows me away. Like I'm heavy, right? Like I'm 200 and, 10 pounds or something like that and like i can drop off like you know a three to six foot thing and my entire weight can come down on this bike and it's fine and like not only that like i can you know go down a crazy hill that's just full of like sharp rocks and like you know uh water bars with like screws coming out of it and like just the nastiest shit and i'm like i'm for sure gonna get a flat tire and nope nine times out of 10, I don't get a flat tire. It's crazy just how, how good the, the technology is. Are these the, the ones that, that still have like um, tubes inside or are these already the ones that just blow up without tubes, like kind of like um, yeah, car, tubeless car, car tires? Uh, tubeless. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one, I think my bike has tubes in it. Um, but yeah, there, there is tubeless tires as well, but either way, I mean like changing a tire on a bike takes like 20 minutes if you know how to, do it you know right yeah it's not that bad yeah do you have like um do you live close to the mountains where you are now pretty close i mean i can get to some pretty sweet mountain biking trails within 20 to 30 minutes nice is it close to twin peaks or something <laughs> I, I mean yeah exactly i'm not far from twin peaks at all nice actually that's nice. that's that's where i go riding quite a lot um so twin peaks is actually right between these two really good spots to mountain bike one is uh called Mount Sutro and then over the other side is another place called Laguna Honda and I sort of ride from my house to Mount Sutro do that whole track and then I ride through Twin Peaks to Laguna Honda do that whole track and then ride home so it's kind of right. like a nice loop how, how far is that um the whole like trip maybe 15 20 miles all right okay that's that's quite something there's like um I live close to a, a big lake here so that's um it's kind of nice to like um, go around that lake, you know, like just you, you can just go around the whole thing. And it's it's probably like, I don't even know, to be honest, how much that is. It must be around like 50 kilometers. That should be like, I don't know, 30, 30 miles, 35. Yeah. I don't know, like exactly how much that is. And you ride that um, whole thing? Well, it's yeah, but it's it's mostly flat, you know, it's like um, it, it has some bumps, you know, hills. and But it's a nice it's a nice trek around that. And um, like typically like once a year, they lock the whole thing down so you can like go around the whole thing, which is nice. So like you're cycling like you're directly on the, the roads. Mm. So the cars are like locked out and everything. It's, it's pretty nice. Like um, also like 
which I haven't done yet. You have like alpine roads that you you can you can go all the way up, and they're pretty long. But I'm kind of scared <laughs> to to do that because, man, I I I seen people like go up there, and it's um ah they don't look good, man. I mean, they look very healthy, but they don't look happy going up there. So, I, so I've only go down. ridden a road bike once. I hired a, like a nice Cannondale road bike from Sports Basement like a month ago or something or two months ago. And I was just like, man, these things just feel like way cheaper to ride than a good mountain bike. And not only that, but like when you're riding down a road or something, you feel like every bump, it's like not that comfortable to ride whereas on a mountain bike i feel like the drive trains are just like a lot more uh seamless and nice and i feel like uh um like the gears make a lot more sense i feel like with a road bike you're having the like the two gears the front and the, the back is kind of pretty confusing and then i also feel like just having suspension is really nice actually i'm on a on a seven gear bike like a, a quite an old one so like mm. if you want to go up a hill then you're already sweating <laughs> it's it's not really nice but but i like the bike um i got used to it so i'm i'm having like it even has an eight like it, it's kind of like bent the back wheel so i have to get something new maybe maybe going to mountain biking i don't know you just have to maybe true what they call it truing the wheel mm. Yeah, problem is that it's not a normal wheel, you know, because it has it has the gears in the mm. back yeah. of the wheel, so it has a gear shifter inside. So if you have the normal chain one, then it's easy. But um, where it, you know it switches between the different like gears, uh, like we how how do you even call them? I have no idea. Um, anyways, it's um, mine only has one chain and it always stays in the same place, and the uh, there's a gear box basically um, that shifts between those seven seven gears and it, when that thing bends or when something breaks then you it's it's kind of fucked you need to replace the whole wheel yeah and that's that's annoying the other ones you can just uh, you know hammer hammer straight mm. yeah that, that's that do you like do you like um what do you like most actually like which bike do you prefer like um do you prefer to go downhill or do you do you always go for the mountain bike um i prefer downhill mostly um which i mean is essentially mountain biking anyway right like the difference between i guess trail biking and mountain biking is trail biking is just the same thing but like you can go downhill on it as well it's just a little less comfortable um but i don't yeah it's hard to say i mean i like doing jumps as well which is you know requires some sort of bike with suspension um yeah I, I don't know i like a mixture i guess of like trail jumps and enduro so it's um one is more like about the speed i guess like like what what gets you into that is yeah like what's the probably value what i'm <clears throat> no no what not not what what the value is more like um like what do you like about it is it is it the speed when you when you're downhilling it's it's a mixture of things i mean i think it's it's partially the speed it's also like the flowiness of it that i really like um like i really like just being forced into this like enhanced flow state where if you're not in the flow state like the cost of it is you get hurt right so it just like forces you into like not thinking about anything else other than riding 
which is really nice. Because um, <clears throat> it kind of gives my brain a break from like thinking about other shit in this weird way, even though I'm like having to think really hard about a thing. Feels like in some way weirdly relaxing and freeing. Um, so that's really nice. I also like the fact that it's exercise, right? Like, and, and it's enjoyable exercise. Um, I think it's also like partially nostalgic for me because I like rode a mountain bike around when I was a teenager a lot. And I also like the adrenaline aspect of it. Like I like the the fact that doing it is like, you know, on the borderline of scary but mostly like fun and just thrilling. I think that would be the main things that I like about it. Does it, get, does it put you in a state where you like... Um completely like taken out of the the rest of the world you know like that that moment that like that situation where you get um completely like um your 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 brain gets completely like um how how should i put it the mind gets cleared and you're just completely focused on what is happening and it doesn't even feel real sometimes do you get that feeling doing that i would say like for small periods you know because always in the back of my mind I'm like I can't hurt myself because like I got shit to do you know so like there's always this like attachment to reality still where mm -hmm. I'm like I mm -hmm. need to you know not be completely engrossed in just doing whatever I want here like I have to be careful as well so I don't end up with a broken leg or you know broken wrist or whatever you know broken collarbone yeah. right yeah that would um, be bad Yeah, so I, I'm constantly like thinking about that. But yeah, there's definitely like these small snippets, I think, where I'm like, where I feel very uh, detached from my normal life and, <laughs> and very just in the moment, which is good. That's nice. I get that. I get that scuba diving, you know, like, like when you enter that, that world and you like, it just like stops, you know, like everything stops. It's fascinating. Like, from, I, I don't know like how it is for other people, but it's like, For me, it's like you enter this world and it's so alien, you know, like it's the most alien world there is, right? At least to me, like in the reality, it's real, but it feels like you're like, you're entering a, a different universe, a different dimension, like it's strange. Uh, the moment you're like fully like in it is, and you, you sink into it, you realize it and it feels like, um, well, my mind blanks, like nothing can make my mind blank, really, only this, like it's... I don't know why that happens, but you get so humble. You get so like, even if it's just a lake, you know, like a lake looks different, you know, like if, if the ocean, it's, you have clear water and you see really far, but the lake is murky, you know, like um, it's greenish and like, it's all kind of like um, in, in some some kind of a horror film in, in, in a forest, you know, like going deep in the forest and you have those like, um, I don't know, foggy environments and stuff. So like you don't really see that far, but like for me it blanks and it's maybe also the cold because it gets cold really quick, like only like 10 meters down or something. It's already like icy sometimes, but it's a it's a beautiful thing to like enter and then be allowed to leave again. I mean, I also need to think about reality and go like, yeah, I kind of have to get back up and stuff. I don't want to go down, be a fish and and stay here and live here. It would be awesome. I mean, yeah, right. I'd do be you, okay. Being do you scuba a, dive I, often? No, not really. Um, but um, whenever it's possible, right? Like not that much recently, but it's always nice, like a little bit. Um, but 
you know, like I'd be, I'd be okay being a mermaid, you know, if that would be the trade, you know, like fine, fine, it's okay. But you know, then you're like, ah, I can't go down there and live down there. So you have to kind of go back up and, but then it's, it's always fascinating when you come out of it and the mind immediately like fills up again, right? It's like, almost like as the water drains off you, uh, the thoughts drain back into you. Like it's, mm. it's crazy, <laughs> but it's, it helps, you know, like it helps to get like, um, get some perspective, right? Or like have a, an actual timeout when you can sit down and I don't know, call it meditating or whatever, like, like meditating in the way, you know, like, like just focusing, I, I call it focusing more than anything else. You just focus on something and, but it's always like, you have to do something right actively to make that happen. And it's never gone. But in that case, it's just like whew, blank. And, and that is, that is incredible. I think. Yeah. Nice. It's emotional. Um, yeah. Fuck yeah. So uh, I got to go, unfortunately, because I have a delivery for groceries showing up in about 10 minutes or something like that. Um, yeah, basically, like lately, I just haven't been going shopping. I just been ordering all of my groceries from Amazon Fresh, uh, which is like it kind of works out. All right. If you just get over thirty five dollars worth of groceries, like it delivers for free. So it just saves me having to. Uh, go to the store and potentially get COVID, especially with this new strain going around. Um, has the UK strain hit America now? It has. Has it hit Austria? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's I common. Think, like, I think it's say, hit like, everywhere. I mean, like they say, it's fifty percent more uh, likely to infect you, so it's going to spread twice as fast, or one point five times as fast, or whatever as the original strain. Well, they said it's like gonna hit apparently like mid mid february like um beginning of, of of march or something well think about how quick the last strain uh happened you know it was like um it was we found out about it in like late january or something and it was like worldwide spread by early march uh, and then everything was locked down by like late march and then it was just completely rampant by like april right so it was like a matter of three months or something like that between when we like first knew about it and between when it was everywhere so mm. let's say it's like 1.5 times faster than that. Um, but then let's think about exponentiality, right? It's not just going to happen exactly 1.5 times as fast. It's going to be exponential, like 1.5 times exponentially, whatever, how the fuck you work that mass out. I have no idea. But like, um, you know, I think it's going to be less than that. It's going to be like a matter of weeks. Right. Yeah. Well, I just hope that it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's going down here at the moment. So it's, we had a, a super big peak, just a month ago or so um but um i think it was like three times as high as in april but um it it, it fell the same at the same rate you know like it went up and then straight down again and now it's falling but the thing is now this strain is coming and well you know people especially in the countryside and so that they're, they're like they're still meeting up they're still having their parties going like whatever you know like countryside so i'm just hoping that it it's gonna like i don't know people get it this time a little bit more hopefully i think if and anything just, you know, people are going to get it less because they're going to be like well you know like the first strain happened and that hasn't killed me or i haven't got it yet so like who gives a shit and they're not going to appreciate like how much more infectious this other strain is maybe and then uh you know might be right worse. 
you know, it's just always like that. When you hear that, like, oh, it's all a lie. I, I it just gets to me, like the tin foil hat me. people. Yeah, exactly. Flat earthers, yeah. huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, shit, man. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, where can thanks people... for having me? Yeah, of course. Um, so two two questions, I guess, to finish. Where can people get Resonic? And also, when is a Mac version coming for those who use Mac? Right, I hear that all the time. <laughs> I don't think a Mac version is coming anytime soon. Um, we're gonna wait it out now um, with all that move to ARM and see where it goes. If it's if it's all gonna become like a glorified iPad, you know, opening the App Store and that, and, you know, like I think like it will hit many like little developers and medium developers um, in the process because um, well, it's just well you have to finance it somehow. And if if the target audience changes. You know, we see more and more people come over from Mac and I always ask them why. And it's always the same thing. You know, it's always down to like the um, politics of, of what they're doing at the moment and um, that it, it's just not worth it. And I, I get that a lot and more than ever now. So it's I think it's a good time to wait that out and, and see what happens. Um, I just want to say uh, people can always get um, like regardless, you know, like they can come on we have a discord and maybe you can you can link that um people can always come on they can talk to us like i'm i'm usually on there we are by the way with two people like um the other half is is actually martin he's not on there yet i will still try to get him there <laughs> but um i'm usually there and i hang out there and um we have a community of of just random people basically like they're like from all like directions of audio like and that's the beauty of it so like you have like music producers like us on one side and then you have uh like people working in film in in, in game audio like in like score recording and in adr and, and like it it's broadcasting you know like it's completely different and everything is in its own sense exciting um and so anybody can come on, anybody uh, can talk to us. It's not just about Resonic. It's just generally like um, a creative space. That's the idea. And I'm about trial versions. Everybody can have trial versions of Resonic Pro. Like I give them out for like at least three months at the moment. I'm, I'm giving out four months. So like because I want people to try the thing and to be to be happy with it, participate with it, and you know like. Like when, when you let people be involved with the project that you're working on, then, well, they're shaping it actively. And I, I would like that. And I like that very much. So. Um, yeah, cool, man. So people should go to the Discord and you're happy to give them trial versions. Um, so the, the difference between ReSonic Free and ReSonic Pro is what? Well, the Free is basically what I started in 2011. It's... Um, that was my idea of, of just a player, something that you can click through stuff. And then, well, you kind of, after like several years, um, you have to like kind of finance it, right? So I decided to like, well, make a pro version and, and put everything in the pro from there on out. And just the player is usually, um, it's kept in white. It's a bright player. Um, it started that way. I'm going to keep it that way. Um, it's just a player. Like if someone wants to listen to tunes or like browse a few audio files, it is still going to be free, right? It always was free. 
and the pro is like more focused on um professional stuff like um like more creative stuff like playing around with your toying around with your sounds and like splitting them you can extract segments of audio you can like batch convert you can like lay down do the meta stuff and the auto tag stuff and like you know it should be a creative a fun way to get you to work with your samples really that's that's the goal like aside from being like a sample manager and all that audio player kind of thing but it also plays like literally every format that we have at the moment right including like, like audio out of video files and stuff so yeah that's basically that Nice. And well, yeah, obvious. I, I, uh, I, I just were... sorry. Go. No, I just wanted to say that, like, um, on the website, because really the last two years were a bit harsh, like to say the least. Um, for me personally, like, um, like the last year kind of imploded my life. Um, don't want to go into that too much, but like it all, like, uh, twenty nineteen, I lost a lot of of hardware and like a lightning strike and um. Um, some gear went and then it just you know corona and then after that like didn't end that really well um but um so officially there is the last version is is from 2019 but we're having like alpha versions come out all the time and they can also be tested on a discord and tried uh, so i'm i'm welcoming everyone to just join and just have a look like what is going on, what we're doing and what's new. And like, like I said, like it's a, it's an honor thing that the community is involved with the whole thing. And it, it should be that way, you know, because, you know, how often did you go to like some developer and go like, Oh, what about this and that? And they don't hear you. You don't even reach them. You can't even talk to them. So uh, this is something that I want to do differently. I just want to, not be the developer or someone special. I just want to be a person there who's making something and people can come in and just have a conversation about it and like add in the ideas and like suggestions and do that, right? And be involved with it. I feel like that's kind of the, the future of technology in general, right? It's like no longer does there need to be this crazy barrier for the most part. Um, I mean, I guess unless you're like trying to scale something up to a massive degree like Apple is or something like that. But I think it's pretty normal these days for somebody like you or I to just have a Discord where people can come in and chat to us directly about the work that we're doing. Um, and I think that's like a healthier relationship to have with your audience anyway. It's like nice to be able to, you know, um, just quickly back and forth with, you know, like Steve Dudo with Serum is like this. He, he's... He's like, yeah, people email me all the time saying, oh, I wish, you know, Serum had something like this in it. And like he quickly code it up in an afternoon and release it with like a, you know, a patch because, uh, you know, he's just one guy. He doesn't need to have a shit ton of meetings with other people to, you know, go through a ton of red tape to release something, you know. And I think it's it's not practical anymore because it takes too long. I mean, this whole project has been stretching, but for other reasons, you know. Um. So, but yeah, like what you do. Like, by the way, I appreciate it very much what you do and how you do it. Just have to say it here because um, um, it's like, I feel like it's a, a very like dominant thing in everything that people just, uh, they pretend like they're using black magic or something, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all magic. It's magical, you know, like <laughs> they make, they make it into like something that is, undoable for other people you know 
you, you can't do that. You're not, you're not me. You're not special. You know, that kind of thing, you know, like, like everything is hidden. Everything is like, come on, we're all using the same stuff. Like it, like, yeah, some people are more talented or have more patience, right? To stick with the thing and then learn that and then get better at it. But, um, in the end, we just, we, we all use the same tech. You and I and everybody has the same access to the same tech, you know? So like, and you, for, for, um, for, for example, you're not like hiding that. You're not saying like, okay, like, look, look, people, I'm going to make this and I'm not going to tell you how it's done. It's magic. You just show people how it works and people learn from that, you know, and that's exactly how it should be. And that's how I like to do it as well. Like when, when I stream something, then, well, if someone asks me so something about coding or something, then I open up the code and I, I show them, right? It's like, what am I hiding? Like, what am I scared of? It, you know, it's just a way to, we are all the same in the end. Might as well act like that, right? Yeah, totally. Well, man, it was a pleasure having you on. And um, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you again at some point about all of this stuff. And I also obviously look forward to just seeing where Resonic goes and, and the kind of updates that it gets in the future, especially all of this... Uh, sample searching stuff i'm really excited for that right and that miniature waveform that hasn't happened yet <laughs> the yeah. people are like still like yeah. wow bill showed me that did that leak or something i don't know <laughs> no I, I did show you but yeah like not gone anywhere but um uh there's there's gonna be like a also like an fft like a, a spectrum overview the same way like you have a miniature waveform so that's coming definitely coming nice sick man well yeah thanks again thanks for having me again hey thanks for listening to the mr bill podcast these episodes are edited and uploaded by robert fumo you can also support the show get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash mr bill's tunes and becoming a patron uh please rate and review on itunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it and all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com thank you I don't